Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. What is the role of a fighter pilot? What are the requirements for flying an aircraft? And how does an aircraft carrier work? We'll answer all of these questions and more on this edition of Getting Schooled. I'm Abby Hornacek. Friday, November 11th was Veterans Day, obviously a day where we take a moment to honor the courageous men and women in uniform and their dedication to our country. There is so much to be grateful for when it comes to our nation's heroes. And to celebrate, we're going to highlight the extraordinary work of fighter pilots. Of course, when you hear fighter pilot, you might think of Top Gun. But while we see actors in costume, there are real men and women in uniform performing these incredible feats. Those feats happen in the air, but also come into play when they have to land on an aircraft carrier. So on this podcast, we want to talk about both the role of that pilot and how an aircraft carrier works. For example, what is the response of fighter pilots in combat? How do aircraft carriers stay afloat with all of that weight from aircrafts? And what is life like for months on end on a carrier? Well, here to talk me through all of this is retired Navy captain and author of Raven One, Kevin Miller. Captain Miller, thanks so much for coming on. Hey, Abby. Great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you know, it it is an honor and a privilege to talk to you. And also, thank you for your service. Thank you for your time. Um, This is an important topic. And I am so fascinated by fighter pilots because I've been in some of those planes and there is so much in there that you have to know. I, I am continually impressed. So can we just start with what is a fighter pilot? What do you do? A fighter pilot is flying a tactical aircraft. And in the United States, there are three services that uh, fly fighter aircraft, uh, Air Force, of course, Navy, and Marine Corps. And uh, fighter planes uh, typically have uh, the, the air-to-air missions of uh, maybe intercepting an enemy aircraft that's that's coming close to our border, or maybe in my case, close to my ship, just to see what that is. and uh, Or, of course, in, in wartime, we would engage it, and we would engage it uh, perhaps with beyond visual range, long range missiles, and then the, the traditional dogfighting that, uh, that that you see in the movies, uh, you know, visual engagements. Also, uh, many of our fighters are multi-role, and uh, they are equally at home in the air-to-air missions and also the air-to-surface missions. Mm-hmm. So they can carry a, a variety of, of weapons, guided missiles, unguided missiles and bombs, um, they, uh, they support troops on the ground. Uh, they can uh, attack uh, ships or, uh, or installations, all of that. So uh, today I think you'll find that most, uh, not all, but most American tactical aircraft fighter planes are multi-role. Mm. 
What are the requirements for being a fighter pilot? Because just listening to you talk right there, it's very complex. And not only are you flying this machine, it's very powerful machine. You also have to keep your eyes on the ground. You're keeping your eyes, um, you know, looking for threats in the air. You mentioned dog fighting. So how do you even become a fighter pilot? Uh, you obtain a commission in, in one of our services, uh, again, Air Force, Navy or Marine Corps. And, uh, and then you, you apply, you volunteer for flight school. And so the first thing they're going to check is, are you physically qualified? And uh, so to, to be in shape, uh, to be able to, to walk and chew gum at the same time. Oh, man, and, uh, I can't be a fire also, pilot then. <laughs> and also eyesight, of course, is, is, uh, is key. And, and uh, uh, 2020 uncorrected vision is, uh, is a requirement for, uh, for flying any military aircraft. Um, so you, you've got that. Uh, so you, you obtain a commission and uh, you're physically qualified and uh, you'll, you'll pass a written exam uh, that'll that'll test you. It's like an SAT test mm-hmm. uh, and it'll, it'll test you for that kind of knowledge of also spatial awareness. So it'll, it'll give you a little diagram and you say, OK, it looks like I'm in a, in a left turn and a climb, something like that. And uh, you make that grade. And uh, in my case. Uh, I got orders to flight school in Naval Air Station, Pensacola, and that's the, called the cradle of naval aviation where Navy, Marine Corps, and Coast Guard pilots go to train. That, I mean, I, I just, when you go through the requirements, it is, you really do have to know your stuff. You've got to be kind of an elite human being. You are an elite human being. When I just when I when I listen to that, it, it's awesome. It, re, it really is. And something I do want to bring up is November is aircraft carrier month. And a lot of people think of fighter pilots in the air. But something that has always impressed me is the way that you guys can just land on these aircraft carriers. So can you just talk to me about what exactly uh, is an instance where you'd have to land on an aircraft carrier or take off from one? And then what is an aircraft carrier? An aircraft carrier, uh, the, the, the kind that the United States operates today, is four and a half acres of sovereign U.S. territory that can go anywhere in the world outside a 12-mile limit uh, at any time. And that is an instrument of national power just being there over the horizon with some 70 combat aircraft aboard the ship, which is larger than most air forces in the world. Um, you know, that, that'll send a signal of American interest. And, and uh, uh, I deployed uh, many times in, in my career on aircraft carriers, uh, typically 5,000 human beings live on them for uh, six, seven months at a time, sometimes longer these days. The, uh, it, it is a floating airport, it's a floating town. Uh, you've got, you know, you're, that's where you, you live and, and, uh, and, and eat and sleep uh, in, in very, uh, very tight quarters, obviously. Um, the, uh, the carrier operates those 70 aircraft. Most of those aircraft are fighter planes, like we described. And, and today, for the Navy, it's the FA-18 ENF Super Hornet and the F-35 Lightning II Joint Strike Fighter are, are deployed. And uh, also on our ships, we have the uh, E-2 Hawkeye, which is uh, a radar plane. It has a dish uh, and it can it can see a long way out there, and it, it'll direct us on our missions. And uh, also the EA-18G Growler, which is an electronic warfare aircraft that will jam enemy defenses. And our two types of helicopters, which is the uh, the MH-60 
Sierra and Romeo that they do anti-submarine warfare and anti-surface missions and uh, and, and and seal insertion missions, uh, a, a lot of things. So it's mm -hmm. it's a very capable uh, ship and air wing team. And around the ship, there are other ships, uh, cruisers and destroyers, and uh, there's probably a, a submarine out there someplace. So it's uh, it is quite a bit of of mobile, ready military power. That just one single aircraft is heavy and then you name all of those other aircrafts how does this ship carry everything because like you said they are little mini cities in there too because people are living on there for a very long time how does it work it's a hundred thousand tons of Oof. uh of uh you know when it when it's when it's fully loaded and uh our our carriers today have two nuclear reactors uh and you can you can you know so long as you keep the, uh, the 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 shafts lube, you can you can go for for years and years um, at, at full power. And and what that does, that allows us to load up the ship with more fuel and and weapons and and, and stores that, that we need. That that'll allow us to uh, to do that. The uh, um, typically an aircraft carrier will uh, will leave port in uh, in the United States, which is Norfolk, Virginia. Or uh, San Diego, California. We we have some in in uh, Washington State, and, and one that's always for deployed in Japan. And uh, it, it, you know, to cross the ocean takes uh, days or weeks, depending on how fast you have to get there. But it, it takes days. Um, and uh, and then once you get on station, the Mediterranean Sea, the Persian Gulf, Indian Ocean, the South China Sea, Western Pacific, you're you're going to spend many months there because it took you so long to get there. And uh, mm -hmm. the way that we do it is. Uh, We'll go out on a deployment, and then uh, we know that there's another ship and air wing team behind us back in the States that are working up for a deployment. When we come home, they will, will leave and, uh, and, and take our position there. So what I'm talking about is forward presence. And, and right now, the United States has, uh, has three aircraft carriers uh, deployed around the world. Uh, one is in the Mediterranean. Another one is in, uh, is in uh, Japanese waters. And and another one's in the, the Atlantic, and this is all open source. And, uh, and so it's just to, to keep the, the, the American Navy military presence there, I believe, and, and throughout my career, I, I served and I was away from home for, for many, many months and, and years when you add it up, it, it reduces tensions, it's deterrence, and that uh, our enemies and, and enemies of our allies are going to think twice before they engage in military activity with us nearby. That's fascinating because, I mean, again, our military is always fighting, whether, you know, it, it, fighting doesn't always mean combat necessarily. Like you said, it's kind of diffusing and reducing those tensions across the world. How do we decide? You said three aircraft carriers um, that are deployed right now. How do we decide where those go? That is uh, decided in, uh, in, in places like uh, um, Fort Smith, Hawaii where the commander of Indo-PACOM is going to direct where, where he needs forces at the moment, and, and, and also uh, in, in Norfolk, Virginia, and, and perhaps uh, uh, Tampa, Florida, which is the home of CENTCOM in the, in the, uh, the, the Central Command, which is, you know, for us Navy guys, the, the Indian Ocean and, and Persian Gulf environment. Um, and so wherever there's tension in the world, and, and there's some tension in the world right now, there's tension in Ukraine. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we have an aircraft carrier in the Mediterranean Sea, and and for for many decades we we didn't we kept aircraft carriers in the Persian Gulf, 
in the Indian Ocean because that's where the tensions were. And uh, and and now again, uh, these ships can be moved, you know, at a moment's notice anywhere in the world outside a 12 mile limit uh, in international waters, and they don't need a permission slip. And uh, we we provide that presence, so we're always ready. Um, now. Again, you're, you're, you're living on this ship for, for, uh, for six months at a time. And, and me as a pilot, I, I would fly, uh, you know, maybe every day, every other day, sometimes a day, sometimes night, a lot of night flying. And uh, we, would, uh, we would just kind of keep, keep ourselves, you know, sharp that way. Uh, every now and then you go to a port for, uh, for a period of days and, and relax and, and uh, you know, explore, you know, whatever part of the world that you're in. Um, fascinating time, but then, then back you go to sea and, and, and keep at it. Uh, it was a, uh, exciting and rewarding life. Right. Well, to, to land on an aircraft carrier at nighttime, is that, would you fly during the night and then you would land? I mean, what was that like? Could you, do you use yeah. night vision? Well, you have to land cause that's where the food is. <laughs> so, there you go. So we, we, uh, yes. And, uh, and, um, there is a uh, there's a, a light apparatus on the left side of the deck uh, that, that tells us where we are on glide slope. So what I had to do, I had to fly my you know basically 17 ton airplane uh, going about 150 miles an hour, and uh, my entire being would be on that light apparatus. And uh, I could also look out and I would see a, uh, a a little box, and in the box would be a center line. So that's the center line of the deck, and everything else is inside of a basketball black. There is no horizon. Oh it's just black, like you cannot believe. Now, now some nights there's a moon out and those are pretty nice nights, but uh, uh, a lot of, you know, the clouds might be low or just a black night. And uh, and so we're, we're trained at the field to do that and, and in simulators. And then uh, then you go out and do it for the first time. And, and it's, it's just you, you know, it, uh, in flight school, you crawl, walk, and then run. And it's, uh, I had, I was not a pilot when I got to flight school, but they, they taught me what I needed. And, and, uh, you know, some three years later, I'm in the fleet, you know, doing this. So it's, uh, it's quite an education. All right. We've got to step aside for a quick recess, but we'll be back right after this. Just to go back for one second. I mean, you're talking about your line of vision, your, your line of sight and, uh, how, like, what do you tell yourself or what did they tell you when you were first flying that the strategies should be when you're trying to land your aircraft on this carrier? Um, it seems like there's not very much room for error when it comes to those things. So what do you tell yourself? There, well, there, there isn't. And uh, your, your tail hook is clearing the, uh, the, the fan tail of the ship, the, the end of the deck, by, by about 14 feet. And you're you're touching down again. You're going about 150 miles an hour, and it's and it's going to stop you in 375 feet. So you're going to go uh, if your harness is not locked. You're going to go flying forward into the instrument panel. The uh, so, but but yes, you ask a, a great question. And and uh, you know, I flew for roughly 20 years in the fleet, and and even at the end of my career flying at night, I would I would before I went up on flight deck and, and got in, I kind of sat by myself and just thought about it and uh i thought about starting up and watching and flying and, and coming back and and what i need i needed to hit my numbers and, and fly a good approach and and fly the ball as we say all the way to touchdown and i i, I understand that you know professional athletes you know golfers can envision the putt or, or ball players okay here comes a, a curveball and, and 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 they they envision you know how they're going to handle that and so i i believe that that, that i and others 
uh, you know, did this. It, uh, it, it really helped focus me and uh, just, 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 just being by myself just for a, a few minutes before going flying. Right. Well, yeah, and you have to have, I'm sure, good rest, which they don't give you nap time in the military. I know that much. Um, and you know, well, you re- pilots do. Pilots do get uh, a, a required rest. I mean, oh, that's that, good. That, that that's good. I mean, the uh, the you know, the, this is a, a human activity, and there's there's a, there's a you know biorhythms and all that. So um, that that is a consideration. Yes. I mean, you guys do kind of share similarities with professional athletes. You talk about that focus and that mindset, but also your body is going through a lot. As a fighter pilot, you're dealing with that G-force. How do you train for that? And what do you do when you start to pull Gs? But do you wear a G-suit or is it all in your breathing? It it is both. And and we wore G-suits. And a G-suit will give you an extra two Gs of tolerance. Mm. And uh, the, the airplane that I flew, the FA-18, was was uh, designed up to 7.5 Gs. <laughs> and uh, and so when when you know you're going to put on a, a, a big honk and turn, you, you kind of will, will uh, you know, you, you, you'll breathe in and kind of tighten up and, and you'll tense your abdominal and leg muscles. And you go, <gasps> and you'll you'll just kind of tense up and, and put the, the, the pull on. And, uh, and, and you might, you might hold that for a while, you know, it could be in a circle with, with in a, in a, in a fight and, and you're looking out the top of your canopy at, at whatever you're, you're fighting at the time. And, uh, you'll sustain, you know, four to five G's and just, just keep that on there for, for a couple of minutes. And so after, after, uh, uh, and we would do this in training all the time and, and, and the, uh, believe me, this passes for fun. I, I assure you it, it's, 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 uh, it's, uh, the sport of Kings, but you, you'd come back and land and, and you're kind of drenched you know, from, mm-hmm. from that workout, uh, you know, for, for these fights and they would only last uh, a couple, three minutes, uh, before you went, went to the next one. But, uh, yeah. And, and then, uh, I think another thing that people don't understand, maybe they, they have a, uh, an understanding is that we debrief everything that we just did. And so we could fly for say an hour and, uh, and, and do those, those dog fights like I described, but we would spend an hour and a half to two hours talking about and, and, and uh, just what we saw, how we managed the energy of our aircraft, uh, the, the, uh, the angles that we, we went into the engagement with and, and how we uh, managed our weapon system. We, we take a, a video of, uh, of what we're seeing through our, our head-up display, our gun sight, if you will. And, uh, and we analyze every bit of it. And, and that's, that's where the learning comes in. And it's, I think it's, it's found in tactical aviation uh, in the military. It's also found in, uh, in the Navy SEALs in, in special warfare. Um, but, and so it's one of our community hallmarks, how much we spend time on briefing and debriefing. Right. I mean, I, I, I don't want to bring myself into this at all because it, it I just I want to keep talking about you. But I do need to say to because I need to say this because the folks at home, just so they can understand, just as a normal person who is not in the military, I flew with the Blue Angels and I think we pulled 7.2 G's and I was out so quickly. And it really made me realize in that moment, wow, what these men and women do up there is so it's it takes so much practice, so much focus, but also, I mean, when you say you're you're pulling a sustained four or five G's, and you are if you're in a dogfight, I mean, you can start to gray out, and then that tunnel of vision gets even more narrow. Um, so I just want to put it into perspective for people, like, oh wow, but four or five G's, that's not that many. I mean, that is a lot of pressure on your body. You know, Abby, I, I saw that video, and I thought you did great. <laughs> 
<laughs> I passed out. I appreciate it, but it was it, I was out like a light in two. I went. I took a little nap. Yeah. It was nice. It was really nice. You, and, and you you recovered. And you're back in the fight. But but yes, I mean in a in a in a fight like 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 I just described, uh, the, the vision can uh, can gray, mm-hmm. uh, and and it can and it can tunnel. And then as soon as you let off the G, the the, the vision, your peripheral vision, it comes right back. And, and, uh, <laughs> it's wild. But uh, yeah. You don't you don't want to get to, to that point where it's completely gone and, and, and you black out. Uh, but uh, um, but you can you can get that way where your eyes are open and you can't see anything, but you're still awake. And so right. the, you don't spend a lot of time in that regime. I mean, that's a lot for your body to go through on a day to day basis, let alone going up multiple times a day. Is there a cap on when you are in training and you are um, preparing every single day? Are there amount of times that you go out there and actually go through this i mean what is what is that requirement and what is that cap as far as flying uh uh two flights a day typically it can it can maybe three during the day uh but you know night is is, is so intense and you're spending so much time mm. on, on instruments you went you asked earlier about night vision night vision uh night vision goggles is something that uh that that uh, I started using in the 1990s when, when they came out early 1990s. And so that, that's something that, that, uh, we use, uh, at night, but not to land on the ship. We, we put them away for shipboard landings and it's, and it's, it's just us, you know, you know, flying the ball that, that light apparatus that I mentioned to you, the, uh, but you, um, you know, you, you, you keep yourself hydrated and, and keep yourself in, in, in shape and, uh, uh, you know, flying keeps you in shape. I mean, you know, you know, flying like that, putting putting G on your body, and also you know, throwing yourself on the ground. If I may, you know, practice practice bombing. You know, practice dive bombing, and you'll you'll uh, you'll be in a steep dive, and then you're going to pull out of that dive at, at four to five Gs, and and look over your shoulder and, and see how you did. And so, uh, yeah, you you get into to really, really good flying shape during a deployment. I could only imagine. Um, so I got a little sidetracked because I was so interested in just fighter pilot and what it takes to be one. Um, I do want to quickly get back to the aircraft carrier conversation because <clears throat> I grew up going to San Diego and the USS Midway is there and it's uh, so incredible. And I love going to that museum. If you haven't gone, you, not you, but our listeners, you, you really should go because it really helps you conceptualize what these things are capable of. Um, you know, World War II, obviously a big moment for our country. How was the aircraft carrier used then and how many? Do you know? Yes. Uh- for the United States, World War II started with aircraft carriers. They they were not American aircraft carriers, but but Japanese. And, mm-hmm. and six Japanese aircraft carriers attacked us at Pearl Harbor on on December seventh. And and the United States at the time in the Pacific had I think three. Um, there there might have been you know one or more in, in the Atlantic Ocean that that came over during the course of the war. Um, after Pearl Harbor. Uh, the United States could Navy could only fight with aircraft carriers. Our, our battleships were, were all at the bottom of Pearl Harbor at the time, and uh, and so we uh, we as a nation uh, took the fight to the Japanese uh, in the in early 1942. Uh, a, a major carrier battle in May of 1942, the Battle of Coral Sea, the first battle in history where the ships did not see each other. It was fought with carrier planes on, on both sides, and and uh, we we traded carrier losses with the Japanese. You could say that the battle was a draw, but, uh, but, but it stopped the Japanese advance that was going to threaten Australia. And then one month later at the Battle of Midway, 
three American aircraft carriers plus Marines flying from Midway Island and uh, met and defeated four Japanese aircraft carriers in one of the most amazing uh, tactical naval turnarounds in, in history. It, it's a battle that, that the United States Navy remembers every June 4th. And, and this uh, allowed the United States at that time to have parity with Japan and because uh, we were fighting also in Europe as well. And so we were able then, when we had that, that parity with that, that big win at Midway, to then uh, the arsenal of democracy was able to, uh, to just churn out uh, materiel and ships and planes and, and of course, millions of men to, to fight that, that led to victory. Uh, to add, you asked how many aircraft carriers did we have in World War II? The United States built 24 Essex-class aircraft carriers. And, and these are carriers that, that people know in, in, you know, USS Intrepid in New York, mm -hmm. USS Yorktown in Charleston, um, and, and, and there are others. Uh, so 24 of those ships, and we had light carriers, and we had dozens and dozens of escort carriers. Um, uh, today, the United States Navy has 11, and they're all nuclear-powered. They, uh, again, four and a half acres of sovereign U.S. territory on that flight deck. And uh, it, those ships really are a reason that the United States military is, is a superpower. The, the ability to, uh, to influence events without firing a shot. Mm -hmm. is is uh is our goal we'll be right back after this i should quickly clarify something because i feel like i i relate i i talked about the uss midway and world war ii it actually wasn't i don't believe it was commissioned i think eight days after it missed the world war ii by i believe a week right i i'm not sure yes yes, it did. yes yeah um when when is it decided or how is it decided when an aircraft carrier is retired Ships typically last 30 years. And, uh, and so, you know, you, they, they get worn out and, and uh, you need to, need to build new. So, except our nuclear powered aircraft carriers, they, they go through a midlife overhaul and, uh, and, and they uh, refill the nuclear reactors that, that have a, those reactors can go, you know, 20 some years typically. Um, so they are refilled, refueled. And, and the ship can, can get overhauled and, and lots of uh, uh, structural improvements. And, then, and that will give it another 25 years of life. So uh, USS Nimitz uh, was my first ship in the, in the 1980s. Um, Nimitz is coming up on her 50th birthday. And, and uh, so, you know, she, it might be time for her to be retired. The Navy will make this decision. Uh, other carriers are being built on the ways uh, USS John F. Kennedy will be the next carrier that we commission. It's being built in Newport News, Virginia. And so, so once it's commissioned, I, I imagine that the Navy will decide to decommission Nimitz, which is at the end of her life, or maybe not. It'll, it'll, be, uh, it'll be up to them. But that's, that's typically how that works. Do you have uh, an idea, it, personally, just having flown onto aircraft carriers and just uh, traveling on them, of one of the greatest aircraft carriers of all time? What do you think? Okay, well, um, uh, USS Enterprise, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say USS Enterprise in World War II. Okay. USS the, the Biggie and and Enterprise in World War II. Uh, it was the most highly decorated warship of the war. Twenty battle stars. It saw action in virtually every Pacific battle, and and just just heroic heroic service. It was at the Battle of Midway, and Enterprise carried the day there. Um, uh, 
you you may be familiar with the nuclear powered USS Enterprise. Right. And that's a ship that I worked on in the 1990s. Another uh, iconic ship, a great ship that lasted uh, you know 50 years of service from Vietnam to to our uh, our, our combats in uh, in, in Iraq. And uh, uh, so I, I would uh, I'd have to go with uh, with the name Enterprise. Uh, uh, Enterprise, uh, there will be another one. Uh, she's being built in, in Newport News, Virginia, where we build aircraft carriers. So it's great to know that the Navy will s- soon again have a ship with that name Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's a great story. And that that ship, I mean, if you delve more into that history, it really is incredible. Um, I do have two quick questions left. Um, the first one is, what is something that someone should know about an aircraft carrier? Maybe that they, they might not know. Uh, a, a great question. And uh, my the, the first thing I think about is the youth of the crew. Uh, the, 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 uh, you know, there's 5,000 human beings, but uh, the average age is, I think, barely 20. It's probably 19. And uh, so, you know, there's just hundreds and hundreds of, uh, of young sailors right out of boot camp, and, and they, are, they are thrust into this environment. It, it's a big school. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll, uh, you'll go on a deployment, and, and you're new, and, and now you're learning. And I was a new pilot on my first deployment, obviously, and, and being a wingman and, and learning. On my second deployment, now I'm the flight lead, and, and on, on deck, uh, all, all the sailors that had been on the first deployment, they're now teaching uh, the new recruits that are, again, just months out of high school. So tremendous, tremendous responsibility for a 19-year-old to have that's t- directing airplanes or working on airplanes or, or working in the nuclear hyperspaces and engineering uh, as a as a, a quartermaster on, on the bridge, helping to navigate. There's, there's just a myriad of jobs. And every man and woman on that ship thinks that theirs is the most important job on the ship. And that, that's a great attitude. To yes. Have. As I, I could only imagine the camaraderie between all of those people too, especially being so young and you do have older people, but yeah, those 19, 19 years old. I mean, wow. Um, a lot more responsibilities than I had when I was 19. All right, last question, Kevin, you've been amazing. And I have to ask this and I wanted to save this for last just in case I send you running, but have you ever seen a UFO? Or UAP, as they call it nowadays. I I have not. Ah, oh, don't break my heart and, like uh, that. Ah, <laughs> oh. as, as far as I know, uh, I I have not. No. Well, I'm very disappointed I, to hear I, that. I know, I've seen my I've seen my friends on on TV uh, talk about their experiences, and uh, and I absolutely believe them. Yes, and, uh, and I know that I know them to be uh, you know men of that are. You know, there's nothing wrong with them. They're 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 they're, they're uh, men of integrity and uh, and and ability. And uh, but but I have not. No. Well, you saved yourself with that answer because I agree. They've got to be out there, Kevin. That's all I got to say. Um, <laughs> no, nah, I I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for your service. It was wonderful to talk to you, and I'm really happy that you got to shed more light on um, aircraft carriers and fighter pilots, especially during aircraft carrier month. So I appreciate it. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Abby. Enjoyed it. All right. If you missed anything from class, these are my office hours. And here are some top takeaways about aircraft carriers and fighter pilots. Number one, right now, the U.S. has three aircraft carriers deployed across the world to reduce tensions between countries. 
Number two, eyesight is one of the most imperative requirements to being a fighter pilot. Every pilot is required to have unaided 20-20 vision. And number three, November is aircraft carrier month, so while you thank a veteran, you can also visit an aircraft carrier to get a better idea of the role our military men and women have in both the sky and on the water. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. For more podcasts, you can go to foxnewspodcast.com. And don't forget to subscribe to this one on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen and leave a review. This has been Getting Schooled with Abby Hornacek on the Fox News Podcast Network. Fast dismissed. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. 